Hey people, thank you for tuning in for the second edition of Echo Chamber. It's been another packed day at the London Film Festival. And um, yeah, I've got films for you people. I've got films. So what comes next, you're going to hear reviews of Colette. You're going to hear Sorry to Bother You. Um, Then there is um, Happy New Year, Colin Burstead. And then we've got Breaker Uppers. And we're going to end with Gin. And luckily, we've got a couple of Q&As to go with Breaker Uppers and Gin. So, hey, I hope you... um, Enjoy the reviews, people. Okay, so I've just come out of a screen of Collect. I'm uh, sitting in a cafe, so apologies for um, the sound. But uh, yeah, I think this is going to be the thing. Yeah, I'm just, you know, there's going to be a lot of jumping around. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. Okay. So yeah, as I said, look. So just seen a, a screening of Colette. Um, it's the new film from director Wash Westmoreland. Um, he's probably best known for his 2014 um, film Still Alice, which starred Juliana Moore and Kate Bosworth. Uh, the film was produced by Elizabeth Carlson, Stephen Woolley, Pamela Kufer, Christine Vacon, Michael Lichvik, and Gary Michael Walters. Right, um, it was written by Richard Glater's um, Wash and Rebecca Lentzwinski. And it's starring Kira Knightley, Dominic West, Dennis Goff, Fiona Shaw, and Eleanor Thompson. Now, um, okay, so the basic synopsis of the film is free-thinking country girl, Sidon Gabrielle Collette, is barely out of her teens when she marries Willie, a literally... A a literary impressio, 14 years her senior. The two become a fixture of Paris, avant-garde salons of the late 19th century. Recognising her talent, Willie puts Colette to work, publishing her name under his publishing her under his name but when her titillizing risque Claudine series thinly veiled autobiographical tales of the sapphic loves of a French schoolgirl becomes a smash hit. Colette tires of Willie stealing her success and fights back to reclaim her own literary name. Following his Oscar winning Still Alice, writer-director Wash Westmoreland delivers a rollicking bang on zeitgeist drama. Uh, Dominic West 
gleefully embodies the charming, if sleazy, Willie, who is shocked when his wife challenges him, and nightly is sensational as Colette, blooming from provincial maiden to a radical, rule-defying feminist and iconist. Colette is a staggering portrait of a great female artist, defiant in her public affairs with both men and women and in fighting her husband for her intellectual property rights and a pecan to one of architects of modern womanhood. Now, this is... I mean, that does kind of break down what the sentiment of the film is but I would say that some of the some of the themes and topics aren't um, they're not really covered in in a way that you um, you feel is hmm like it's not overt it's not clear it's kind of skated over there's no depth to some of the things or some of the some of the incidents happen very quickly so it's a bit like wait so you went from this to that where was the where was the evolution of your thoughts in this process where you know where was the growth um and and i feel that was a bit lacking at times like the film is very it's a slow starter it's definitely a slow starter and some of the stuff at the beginning, it's a bit like, is this really needed? I, I, I feel there is content that could have been cut, essentially. I mean, this isn't an overly long film. It's 112 minutes. So just under two hours. But it it doesn't feel short. Like, it doesn't feel really long, but it doesn't feel short. You know, um, like the, the, one of the weird things in the film was so we start off with Willie courting um, Colette, and then all of a sudden they're married. Like there was nothing to show that to really show that transition. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a bit like. A lot of stuff is indicated, but it's not fleshed out. Like, when Colette um, decides that she wants her name on, on her work, it's just all of a sudden. Because someone questions her about it, and she's like, eh, you know, I don't really. And then the next thing, it's just, I want my stuff. And it's just like, and the venom that she throws. Now, I'm not saying it's not warranted, but it seems to come from nowhere. Because at one minute, you're, like, fine with the collaboration and not having the credit. And then all of a sudden, you're like a 180 and you're this volcano of um emotion you know uh and I feel that could have been covered better covered better (laughs) it it could have been explored more really what I feel there's a a lot of stuff that was filler it kind of seems but I wouldn't say filler it's just stuff that doesn't really do anything for the story 
so um yeah in, in you could have had more exploration on some of these other more um tangent points i feel that would have served the story more i think um yeah like you didn't really feel the romance between anyone in the film like between Willie and Colette or um, Millie and Colette yeah it didn't seem to jump off at me there was yeah it just felt like they knew each other and um, like one of the weird things was I felt that this it seemed like more of a play than a film it felt like everyone was talking and projecting to the audience rather than interacting with each other yeah I I had the same feeling I remember when I watched Fences and that really seemed to be a thing that yeah it was it's this theoretical production rather than a cinematic story and um like when um Colette first writes something for Willie he he tells her that the story is nice but it um you know it lacks a bite and this is what the film seemed you know it looks nice like the cinematography is good like the costumes all of that it's nice but it didn't carry the weight that something like this i feel it it should have or could have but i will say i spoke to um an, another critic after the film she loved it. She loved it, um, and and you know, felt very differently about the way the film kind of projected itself. So, you know, I'm not saying that my my opinion here is, is right, but that's just the way it kind of came off to myself. But I would say. Um, if you're a um, you know if you like a period piece if you like a period drama then I, I you know I think you would probably enjoy this yeah and so your other opportunities like of seeing this will be uh, Friday the 12th at 11.30am at the Embankment Garden Cinema and then Saturday the 13th at 6 o'clock at the Cinema Lumiere, which I believe is in South Kensington. And like everything else, you know, these are the main, uh, you know, festival listings. So if you can't make any of them and you want to see the film, check your local cinemas because there is a chance that it might be showing there. Okay, well, uh, yeah, that is my review and thoughts on Colette.
the thing with all these screenings, especially the press screenings, like there's the opportunity to see films that you might not have heard of, that you probably would never have had the opportunity to see any other time. So, you know, it's about jumping at those opportunities. Like one of these films was Sorry to Bother You. You know, I didn't really know anything about this going in, but I'd seen some visuals which intrigued me, so I wanted to check it out. It's written and directed by Boots Riley. Uh, it's produced by Nina Yang Bongovuv, uh, Forrest Whitaker, Charles D. King, George Rush, Jonathan Duffy and Kelly Williams. And it's starring Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson... Stephen Yen, Danny Glover, and Army Hammer. It's 111 minutes, and it's from Universal Pictures International. So, the breakdown is this. With Cassius Green's newly discovered talent, it's not long before he rises through the ranks of his company, moving closer to the inner circle of coke-snorting entrepreneur Steve Lift. But as Cassius soon discovers, Steve has some disturbing ambitions for him, and the cost of success could be more than just alienation from both his colleagues and activist girlfriend Detroit. Bursting with ideas, visual panache and caustic wit, Riley acrobatically lampoons office life and offers savage commentary on the young African-American experience, joining a triumphant new wave of radical black cinema. Sorry to bother you, establishes Riley as a filmmaking force to be reckoned with. This film, god damn it, this was something else, you know. The start of this film was so fun. It really did set the tone. It w it was just great. And all I can say is the scene in the garage. The scene in the garage. It's just, whoo, it's, ah, it was fantastic. It, like Boots, Riley has crafted something special here. It's like it's a social satire, and its voice is so unique, it's so weird, it's so quirky, and it works on so many levels, people. It really does. Like, there's um like some scenes at the beginning in the call center that yo I have to say I haven't seen the this technique done before. Now, you know, maybe it has, 
maybe I've seen it, but if I have, it was a very long time ago. As this, it was just so different, you know, it was so different, but it really worked. It really kind of sucked you in to those moments, like that situation of making those calls, you know. It yeah, it was fantastic. It was great. And um like the film just moves on from there. Like some of the some of the scenes, some of the lines like you got to find your white voice. You won't succeed unless you find your white voice, which is, is like it's funny. And uh, you know, there's a lot of us that realize that you know you've been told that, like sometimes inadvertently, you know what I mean, sometimes like just straight up. But yeah, that's a thing, man. That that's a thing that you know you, is often pushed on you when you you step into the workplace. Um, then there's <laughs> like thirty three percent of men who wear pink are likely to start a franchise. It's like, what the hell? Like, really? It, it, I think it's all about context, people. So, when you hear that line in the scene, it's just so funny. And you find yourself just laughing in stitches. It's just, yeah, it's a great, it's a great film. I, you know, there's just no denying it. But, like, I think this, I would say this is important. I'd say this is a must-see. Like, early in the year... Everyone was talking about how Black Klansman was the most important film this year. And, you know, it, it's this must-see and all of this kind of stuff. For me, and, you know, I, I, I said it in the, on the podcast, it was a bit safe. You know, it didn't the punch that it, I felt it needed to. This, on the other hand, this packs the punch. This, yeah, it doesn't shy away from things. Like, the film reminds me so much of early Spike Lee, which is ironic, you know, when you do kind of hold it up to Black Handsman. And I'm not saying Black Handsman is a terrible film. I'm not saying that the, you know, the story isn't important. But I think this story here, it has more of an impact. Like, this essentially is about who we are, you know? It's like, who are we? And what are we prepared to do for success? Like, how do we view our friends who achieve success? You know, like, what do we say? How do we interact with them? How do we look upon them now? And then also, 
It's like, what is the line? And how much does it take for you to cross that line? You know, what's the thing that can push you over the line? And once you've crossed the line, do you care? You know? What what what's your thoughts on that? You know? Is it um out of sight, out of mind? You know? But then the question is, like, what does it take for you? To go back across the line, you know, what's it take for you to go, yo, a change needs to be made. I need to, I need to check myself. So, you know, what what's it take for you to go back across that line, mend those fences, fences, like, you know, make amends and all of that kind of stuff. What's it take, you know? And is that of your doing or does it literally have to have other ramifications for you to go, all right, I better do this. You know, like what, what is that? And that's what this film looks at. It looks at all of these things, you know, human nature, people. It's like, what do we hold dear? What are we prepared to put up with? Like, do you follow the crowd or do you stand on your own? You know, like, are people prepared to stand on their own? Even if it means there's no one else standing with them. You know, there's all of these things. Like, just because the crowd want one thing. Do we want to give that to them? There's a great scene toward the end of um, Cassius. And he is being, you know, cajoled into doing something he doesn't really want to do. And he knows he's not good at it. And he tries and there's no reaction. Then he realises the words that will get him over with the people and he says those words and it's like oh he went there and it's just like he he kind of doesn't care too much you know that's not the straw and that's the crazy thing it's just like yo you did that and that wasn't the straw so this is the interesting thing you know this is the uh yeah this is the question what's it what is it going to take for you to look at yourself and go actually shit ain't worth this man you know it just isn't worth this so that's this film people that's sorry to bother you. It's powerful. And I have to say, like, I would say it's a must-see. And that's good because...
you will be able to see it Friday the 12th, so tomorrow at quarter past two at the Embankment Garden Cinema. Lovely cinema, people. And then Sunday the 14th at 5.30 at the View Lesser Square. And remember, this film could well be showing more at some of your local cinemas. So keep an eye out. Sorry to bother you. It's definitely one of the standouts so far. I mean, yeah, or day two. But it's it's a yeah, it's it's a film that carries weight. Okay, so people, if you can, highly recommend you check this out. Okay, so I've just um, come out of an interesting screening. It was Happy New Year, Colin Burstead. Uh, This is directed and written by Ben Wheatley. Um, It was produced by Andy Stark. And it's starring Neil Marshall, Hayley Squires, Sam Riley, Joe Cole... Charles Dance and Alexandra Marie Lara. It's a cool 95 minutes. Um, and it's from Rock Films Limited. Now, I'll read the synopsis for you. And it is Colin has returned as has rented a stately country home for his extended family's New Year's celebration. He's the centre of attention, though not always pleasantly so, until his estranged brother David unexpectedly arrives. His appearance after a five-year absence throws the family dynamic far off orbit. Wheatley's skill with drama and characterisation has been in evidence since his early features down terrace and kill list but it's a delight to see it go full throttle here brought to life by ensemble so uniformly good it makes name checking only a few feel preserve yeah few feel preserve yeah, that's kind of weird but um I'll, I'll say this right um a lot of the time, you're, you're told about, like, directors and how good their work is. That, um, you know, they're, they're a must-see and that their voice is, you know, much needed in the genre. And I feel Ben Wheatley is one of those people. But I haven't really gelled with his stuff you know i didn't i didn't enjoy sightseers high rise i just couldn't get on with so i was i was a bit well i concerned isn't really the word but you know i i went in with trepidation to this but I wanted to give him another chance. I wanted to see if I could see in his work what other people were seeing. And 
I have to say, I really did enjoy this film. You know, it's it, so basically it's that story of a dysfunctional family, and you know, they, as I said, look, they're getting together at New Year's, which is always one of those times that is is very volatile. Um, and he he crafts this tale really well. I would say the beginning is a bit confusing because it's showing each of each like set of couples and characters and it's like jumping in between like cut 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 so it it gets a bit confusing like who wait who are they talking to wait are they talking to ah i'm not quite sure but you know once you get past that it it really does um find its feet it's a slow kind of burn but it's very intricate in the way everything unfolds and the story is told and i think um wheatley does a great job of knowing when to focus on someone you know to get the most emotion out of that scene you know, it's a good way he kind of pans in for a close-up and he can, like, sweep across just to capture the flow of the room and and how everyone is interacting, even when they're not talking, just their presence, what their presence is bringing to that room. Um, so... Yeah, you know, it's not an action film like Free Fire or something like that. But it's a very good, uh, you know, it's a very good um, look at the family dynamic. And a family that doesn't all get on. You know, yeah, yeah, and also like the greater reach of that family. You know, because there's other people that know the family, that have interacted with the family, and they're involved. And you see that unfold as the story goes on. So, I yeah, I would say, look, if you're a fan of this, it's a bit like, um, I think. Ah, I can't remember the guy's name. But it's like, this is um, England. Um, If you're a fan of those films, then I think this would be for you. And so, you will be able to see it uh, Friday the 12th at 12pm at the View Lesser Square. Then again at 12.30... PM at the Lesser View Lesser Square. Then it's showing at on Saturday the thirteenth at twelve forty-five PM at Rich Mix, and then Sunday the twenty-first at eight forty-five at the Odin Tottenham Court Road. So uh, yeah, I would say look, yeah, it's not a big action film. You know, it is one of it's something that you could watch on a smaller screen. If you find yourself with a spare hour and a half and you want to watch something compelling, yeah, I would look this one out. 
So that is Happy New Year, Colin Burstead. People have definitely been taking note of the New Zealand film industry of late due to the efforts of Taiki Watiti. Um, You know, especially with, you know, his films like Revenge of the World of People, um, What We Do in the Shadows, and um, For Ragnarok. But there are other directors in New Zealand. And, yeah, when you see the films that are coming out, Hey, it's definitely a, a region to take notice of. Like the latest entry is Breaker Uppers, and this is from Jackie Van Beek and Madeline Sammy. Um, and funny enough, Jackie has worked with um, Taiki on Eagles versus Shark, and what we do in the shadows. Uh, Madeline. Is probably best known for um, her being in Slow West. Um, so, yeah, the uh, you know the Breaker Uppers. It's um, it was produced by Carfu Neal, Georgina Allison Condor, and Ainsley Gardner, and it's starring Jackie Van Beek, Madeline Sammy, and James Rolston. It's, you know, it's not a long film. It's an hour and 20 minutes. So, um, yeah, you know, it's a good length. It's distributed by Netflix. So, um, you know, it will be readily available to the masses soon, which is good. And the breakdown is this. Modern society is permanently selling ways to find a perfect relationship. But what if you want to be rid of one, especially if you're a coward? Obviously, you hire love cynics Mel and Jen, the breaker-uppers, who will crash weddings, fake pregnancies, or even commit kidnappings to help you achieve a clean break from your soon-to-be ex. Co-writer, director, stars Jackie Van Beek and Madeline Sammy are uh, alumni Executive producer Taki Wahiki Kiwi Taki Kawiki's Kiwi Collective. So there's plenty of that familiar offbeat deadpan humour, along with a healthy dose of bridesmaid-esque raunch observations on female-centric dynamics. Cameos from several New Zealand comics, including Jemima Clement, Boost the Fun. But this is clearly Van Beek and Sammy's show. If it ain't broke up, they unfix it. Hey, you know, it it pretty much sums up the film. Um, it is extremely funny. There are just so many funny moments. I think it it, it starts off, and you're just in stitches, really. Uh, which is just great, you know, um, especially when you've been doing a lot of screenings. Uh, it, it's good when, um, yeah, you can find the humour in something. Um, I think 
the big thing about this film, though, I, I, I it's, it would seem to be, is like the the whole break her up her agency thing isn't really what the film is about. We see a lot of the different situations in the first few minutes of the film they kind of run through like some of the scenarios and and that kind of thing which is you know everything's different everything is hilarious and so it really does set the tone for the film and it it shows our um our you know our leads Mel and Jen it kind of it shows their dynamic you know, you, so you kind of get a sense of who they are and how they kind of do things. Like Mel's the kind of easygoing one and Jen, a bit more uptight, needs things done by the book to the plan. You know, that's how it is. So you see this and you're like, okay, so right, is 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 this how they are? But as the film kind of, unfolds you realize that yeah it's yeah it's not just about the agency it's not just about the work it's about friendship you know it that that's at the core of the thing it's it's friendship what holds it together what brings it back together you know you you it looks at why are we friends with people like what are those things that kind of bring people together that magnetic connection that you find with people sometimes so it looks at that and then you know if there is something that will split up a friendship like what what would that be you know what I mean what what are the things that can try a friendship to its very core so what could split up a friendship and then what could bring a friendship back together you know so it's like what is the foundation you know what underpins it that's really what set the core of this film and also love you know because I think it does shine a light on that like how do we understand love? You know, what are the drivers for it? What are we willing to accept? What are we willing to put up with? And what's the um, what's the line? You know, so it kind of explores that, which is interesting because it also looks at it from a younger point of view as well. So that's always interesting because you know you don't always get that in films so um yeah you know you have all these kind of different dynamics and different kind of pillars that are holding this up but there's so many jokes in this film so many jokes like uh like ah so your name's mel is that short for melon? It's just like <laughs> what? What is that? What is that? You know, um, 
And um, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like she's got a Wolverine vagina, you know. Schnick. <laughs> oh, man, you really have to see it to for some of these things to really kind of, you know, jump out at you. Because it's just so, so funny. And um, I think the film ends with a song. Film ends with a song. And I think we know by now that if a film ends with a song, well, it's got to be all right, right? (laughs) You you just think of those classic ones like 40-Year-Old Virgin and... You know, like the little dance routines, Little Miss Sunshine. It's just, oh man, it just adds to the hilarity of the moments. But, um, yeah, it was just, it's really good. And the performances are, like, those some of the key things that make this film... Is there are some really fantastic performances. I think you know standouts would be, of course, like um, Madeline and Jackie, but then James Rolston who plays Jordan, like um, Celia Pakulia who plays Anna, and Anna Scotney who plays Seppa. Just great performances from all of these characters, all of these actors, should I say? But yeah, their cat, the way they bring their characters to life is fantastic. It it really does propel this film along, and um, I you know I'd recommend it to most of the people I know. Because it is funny, and I think, you know, people would get it. Like, I I guess you, you could definitely say, look, if you're a fan of things like um, Wedding Crashers, then this is definitely for you, you know. If you're a fan of um, Tahiki Wahiki, Takiwatiti's films Then this is definitely for you Like Flight of the Concords This is definitely for you Like if you just like funny films With with original concepts Yo, this is for you And, um, you know You will be able to catch this on Friday the 12th, so tomorrow, at quarter past six, it will be playing at the Prince Charles Cinema. Then it's playing Sunday the 14th at 10 past nine p.m. at the Curzon Mayfair Cinema. So just round the corner from um, the theatre showing Harry Potter. Then Monday the 15th. Quarter past 12pm At the View Leicester Square And um, yeah So they are the official 
screenings throughout the festival but keep an eye out because I'm sure um, places like the Prince Charles will be showing this a lot cool so um, there was a uh, this was just one of the general um, performances so it it was the premiere, the European premiere. So there was a Q&A and I will um, leave you with some audio of the Q&A. It's such a brilliant high concept. And I thought, there's no one ever done this before. I mean, what sort of led you to the, the idea of Breaker Up as, as a sort of, as an idea? That well, Jackie's not here, so I'm gonna say I came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jackie, Jackie came up with the, the premise. She's, this is the story that she tells, and I'm going to tell it exactly how she tells it. I was just standing around my kitchen one day, and the idea of having a cup of coffee, and the idea just came into my head. Um, what if you could outsource that horrible job of breaking up with someone? She, she claims that there was no personal uh, reason for that. She's very happily married. Um, these are all the things that she says when she's explaining it. But yeah, and then she thought that would be a great idea um, for a comedy film, because that's the kind of sense of humour that we cultivate in New Zealand. We're quite, you know, we're quite dark. Uh, and she called me, and I was like, yeah, I love it. Let's do it. Let's write it. And so here we are. Um, one of the real strengths, I think, is obviously there's hilarious set pieces with all the breakups, but it's really about the two women and their kind of connection and bond and I'm just interested was that something that you kind of had from the beginning or was that kind of evolve as you kind of wrote the script or came up with the scenario yeah we always we always wanted the real strength or the real romance I guess bromance or romance as we've called it um, when we've been wandering around the world um, to be the friendship between the two and that that to be the real kind of breakup of the story essentially and kind of discovering that friendship through this the stunted friendship this kind of um you know that the, there's two people that have come become so stunted by love and so cynical that they can't even see how sort of twisted their own friendships become how dependent on each other they are so um yeah so it was really about keeping that the central focus of our story um and then everything building everything around that they're also spirit sisters in real life true fact they have the same birthday and then both Tauruses. That's, that's true. That's true. Um, I know, I didn't, when you came tonight, I didn't actually recognise you. <laughs> which is a compliment. Um, can you talk a little bit about the characterisation, the look, and I mean, also George and, and Magdalene, what, who contributed what? Because she's such a striking character. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, well, I, I've been like a massive fan of Madeline Sami for my whole life. And um, basically, I met her for the first time last year, eh? Yeah, in Auckland, when I just moved up there, having graduated from um, Toy. And she was at a cafe called Kiss Kiss in, um, yeah, in Auckland. And I fully fanged She came up and kissed me, and it was her on the mouth. Um, yeah, but I went over and I was like, hey, I just want to say before I go, like, I'm a massive ginormous fan of your work. And then, like, kind of serendipitously, a few months later, um, you know, I auditioned for the film. And I could tell, like, because, yeah, Maddie and Jackie co-wrote it, but I could feel that, like, most of Sipa had been written by um, Madeline. 
and they wrote a shlem because of where he was assuming that maybe we'll take this outside. Um, yeah, and then just like auditioned and um, yeah, just came in like Anna, full fury. Super Anna blew us away in the auditions. Stu, our, our casting director, was like, I'm gonna throw this girl in here. She's a bit of an unknown Number quantity. Um, she came in with, you had quite shorter hair at that time. It was like, it was like in a mega buff stage. Um, and you came in and just, she just owned the audition. And I got, I was in LA at the time and I got so excited. I played it to my friends and I was like, gotta get this girl in our movie. And um, yeah, sight. She steals every scene you. <laughs> in the end of the day, we were just like, yeah, no, we probably don't need as much of Anna in this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how much we, we don't have any of it, right? She's still stealing, she's not saying anything. <laughs> Does anybody have a question for anybody up here? Good. Yeah, we're still thinking about it. I have some questions. Okay, that's right. Um, the sort of New Zealand comedy scene at the moment seems particularly strong, and I'm just interested how you and Jeff got together and the sort of community. Is there a kind of, would it be fair to say as a community? Because obviously, Taika Waititi executive producers, what's the sort of how does that all work and maybe George as well?
to send big ups to the town in New Zealand. <laughs> Nick Samson, he wrote. <laughs> Yeah, hey, right back. Hi, a question for the panel. Um, what's the biggest challenge making a film in New Zealand at the moment? Is it funding? Is it resources? What, what is that? George. <laughs> George has just put out another movie about female sharers, a documentary, which sounds bloody interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, bloody Kiwi, and I yeah. bloody can't wait to see it. It's called She Shares, come see it. Um, no, uh, we were actually very, very lucky with the funding because he was going to say no to Nez and Jackie with Tiger attached. Um, but the logistics actually of shooting, even though we had a decent budget, it was always, it's very tight in New Zealand. So shooting for 23 days, uh, they were pretty fast days. Um, we had a huge cast, as you can see, and um, the logistics of them getting them in and out and everything like that was a bit of a challenge, but we, we, we made sure that we got really good crew and really good HODs and we were also, um, so this is a picky film but it's also a misconception film and um, misconception is me and the other producer, Andy Gardner, and we're about, um, we're about female stories and female creatives and so collectively between um, Maz and Jackie and Ains and I, we, you know, We've all got kids, we're all women wanting to do our thing, so we also did a lot of um, job share, so just because, uh, like our makeup artist had just had a baby, but we desperately wanted her, and so we could just make that work, so actually that was kind of more of the juggles, was actually making sure that everyone that we loved and who supported us could could work on it, and um, I think it really shows, like I, I think, because you know, you had a good time, and everyone was um, quite relaxed throughout, and um, there's a lot of mom energy. There's a lot of mom, yeah. There's a lot of hot mom energy in this film. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you feel that, but yeah. It was actually a really nice, nice feeling, and, I've been, and it's been something that I've been quite proud to tell everyone, and I'm so proud of these guys for making that happen, because it, logistically it does take a little bit to get your head around to do that, but to be able to kind of feel like as a woman in the industry, you can have a baby and not be forgotten by the industry. Um, it's really nice, and now we've got a we've proved that you can do that. So we can go, I can go to anyone in New Zealand. And go, <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter if I'm hooked up. <laughs> you guys still, you still make a movie with me. We actually we had a um, practically all female camera department. The, there was one guy in it, and he was actually one of the extras in the police station. He was the one that opened the door with a really bad moustache. <laughs> so he obviously wasn't very busy. So we might think that's too time. Yeah, in fact, I think Richie likes the other okay. camera. Okay. Another question? Yes. You said you shot it very well. <laughs> um, you said you shot it very quickly, um, and it felt very natural and almost improvised. But I wondered whether it was very tightly scripted to shoot it in such a, a quick time, or whether there was much improvisation. Yeah, um, Jackie, Jackie and I like to both like to work in improvisation, but we did work on the script for five years, and we did um, keep we kept honing the script. We put it through workshops. We would have read-throughs. Um, but it was all with the, we, we always like to sort of keep it alive and even into the rehearsal period we had um, Jermaine and a good friend of mine, Tom Sainsbury, come in and, and rehearse with us and we were still making changes um, 
And then on the day, obviously, you know, you get people like um, Scotney or um, Jermaine Clement, you don't want to give them away, you know, you want them to bring their, whatever they are feeling on the day to that, to that scene as well. So basically, Jackie and I wouldn't stand in the way of a good joke because, you know, it's all, it's all making the film a lot better. Um, and yeah, it kind of keeps it alive and exciting, especially for us <laughs> as writers who've been, who are acting as well, um, we, we wanted to keep the excitement for ourselves, you know, we didn't want to just feel like we're doing the same old stale things that we've been working on for five years. So yeah, it was, um, but I, th I think a lot of what you see on screen is scripted. Um, well, it, it, they were always, they'd start off scripted and then a couple of takes in, they would just keep going and going and going. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, our continuity did, didn't have to rewrite the script for this at the end. It was, it was pretty close. Um, yeah, Anna's, one of my favourite improvs is actually Anna's um, beatboxing <laughs> musical moment, which... Super had a few AWOL moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think started as a shouted offer from me from behind the camera and then that sort of five minutes later I was just like crying on the floor. Like, <laughs> Junior I didn't important. want it to stop, I genuinely didn't want it to stop doing it. Um, I think that came... Going back to what um, what you asked before, like I think that came from having a set which was so nurturing, um, and so being in an environment where, yeah, where we were able to kind of like work through all of the beats that you and Jackie had written, but then feeling supported, like these guys would just be like, have a home, just go for it, <laughs> and, and feeling and not feeling like, oh, have a home here? <laughs> you guys know what have a home means? Have a go, like try something, play around. Give, give it a hoot. <laughs> give it a hoot. Go take that back Do to your schools or your workplaces. <laughs> and next time someone's got a bit of a sandwich, and like, what if I have a hoot on that sandwich? You can say it like that. Um, you can say it in lots of filthy ways too, but I'll talk to you later. <laughs> so, yeah, so we were supported to try different things. Do you guys, uh, when you were both directing, do you sort of separate out your roles or how do you kind of work together? We didn't go on with a set plan um, because neither of us really knew how that was going to work. We both directed things independently of, of each other. Um, and then well, it sort of happened naturally. It's, uh, whoever was more, more acting more in the scene, the other person would be with the camera more. Um, and so it sort of naturally kind of worked out like that. So we sort of shared the the roles really, um, depending on who was in the scene. We also had Ainsley um, Gardner on set, who's um, sort of kept kept her eye on the story for us when we would go off on on um, improvisational tangents. Um, because sometimes when we were in front of the camera, it was a bit hard to um, remember that the camera has to cut at some point. Although Jenny, our um, DOP, was also really involved in the prep, and she she definitely understood the vision of the girls, so she could. When they were both, you know, both out there acting, she could capture it and then quickly review and she kept you kept you in line as well. Yeah. Um, talking about music, the soundtrack of the film is fantastic. Um, so I'd love to know whether you have those tunes in your head from the very start or once the script was evolving, you then try to fit a bit of Celine Dion and Technotronic in it afterwards. How did that how did that process go about? Um, those were, I mean, we were really lucky with our clever, clever producers that were, they were able to squeeze the budget enough that we could get most of our favourite picks and music. 
Um, so Lee Dion was sort of in there as a dream. I mean, you can kind of write all these songs and things in and then you hope for the best. But, um, you know, it can be the, one of the trickiest parts, eh, George, just in terms of, like, how much things it's cost. It's so time-consuming. And we started right from prep, like, right from prep, trying to get some of these songs. And, you know, you just keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. And they're going to say yes or they're going to say no. And then... Um, but yeah, it was a lot, a lot of prep. But it's so important. Like you can see how important it is, and we all really understood that. And karaoke versions are always cheap. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> so there'll be karaoke in all my songs. Kind of, in spite of you know someone like Selena, it's quite. It was a fascinating experience actually. Like in terms of you had to think of she wanted to know about where it was placed in the film, and and just so so much so much. Whereas most people just wanted you know, have, have those pages around it just to know. But yeah, it definitely, it was um, it was a key component, so we worked on it right from the beginning. And yeah, because we're such good producers, we could afford them. <laughs> they were. But also like there was a um, quite a hardcore 90s thread through those songs. And I, um, that, you know, that was a, a very important time in my life. So all of those songs have a lot of nostalgia for us. Uh, Casey and Jojo's song at the end has a lot of nostalgia, particularly for our producer Ainsley. Yeah. Was her was her wedding song or something? Was it probably her ex? Have we done talk about <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I've already told the story. Uh, anyway, we replaced that memory. She doesn't even think about that anymore. So good. <laughs> but um, you know, talking about um, great experiences, Mads and Jackie actually got to meet. Celine, which was a dream. It was, yeah, it came full circle. Yeah, it did. A year later, we were standing in a waiting room ready to meet Celine. <laughs> <laughs> um, she didn't ask me to go on stage and sing with her, I was a bit pissed off. I know, she was amazing, it was really cool. She's going to be in our next movie. <laughs> I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there because we've got to make, make the movie for the next week. But thank you all for coming, and please think that. Thank you so much. So I ended the day with a screening of gin, which is from uh, director Ninja Nilji. Moonin, uh, she directed and um, wrote the script. It was produced by Avril Speaks, Maya Emil, and Ariel Sutun, and it's starring Zoe Renee, Simone Mizik, and Kelvin Harrison Jr. It's 92 minutes, so just slightly over an hour and a half. And it's from Sweet Potato Pie Productions. Like the, uh, the breakdown is, Summer is undergoing something of a spring awakening. Though not all due to her own adolescent yearnings. When her mother, a divorced TV weather forecaster, converts to Islam, Summer's own sense of self, a high school senior devoted to sensual dance, not Allah, 
is left shaken. An ill-advised Instagram post in demure headscarf and revealing underwear plus infamous hala hottie hashtag fractures things further. Then there's the cute guy Tahir at the mosque. Nilja Mumim's vivid, not conformist debut explores a seldom shown sector of youth. Her sharp eyed look at family and community shows how these pillars can at once support and bar personal freedom. But not, but nothing can hold back newcomer Zoe Renee's dynamic, physical, and fierce spirit in her sharp, shape-shifting title role. So yeah, that's um, yeah, that's that's the kind of genesis of this film, and um, yeah, it's a it's a really. It's an interesting film because we have seen this film before. You know, it's a coming of age film. So, you know, you, we we've definitely seen this genre, this, you know, troupe. But the thing is we haven't seen it with this point of view. You know, with the um, conversion to to Islamic faith as the the linchpin that kind of drives the story, we haven't seen that. So, at first, when you you know you look at the film, you think, okay, it's just going to be one of these run of the mill stories. But when you throw in um, the whole Islamic faith It really does shine a new light On this story And gives it a breath of fresh air Which is really good Because that yeah, that's the thing You worry At first you'll be like Ugh, Is it just going to be one of those Is it really Do we need any more of these films and then you realise, oh, okay, no, it's got something new to say. And that, yeah, that's that's very good. I think, um, like, the film starts with Jade in her car, uh, like, putting on a head wrap. And so at first, you're like, oh, like... What's what's happening here? Because then you see her with Summer, and she's not wearing the um, head wrap, and you're like, oh, um, you're a little bit confused. But then, as the story unfolds, you kind of realise, okay, so she has been going to the mosque. She's been finding her way to religion and then it's the transformation it's the evolution from there so that's kind of interesting um it's also 
like, there's some things that you don't see, like, you don't see, um, the kind of struggle so much with summer, and the kind of contemplation and thought that goes into her wanting to become part of this faith, we don't see that, um, but there was a Q&A afterwards, and it was interesting to find out what the reasoning was with that, you know, that it came down to um, test audiences, and them wanting to see the transformation like sooner because that's the thing that they found interesting so it was just like you know at first you can think ugh, they just didn't do it but it's just like no there was a reason behind why the film went from one point to the next a thing that is like explored though is the conflicts of religion on your life you know, the, the the constraints that sometimes it puts on you and those around you. So even if you come from the most liberalist households, if the if the people around you are more reserved, more traditional, more orthodox, then that impacts on you. Because, you know, you can have all the freedom in the world, but if those around you don't, then what do you do? How do you navigate that? Um, and the film also, it looks at, I think, those relationships between mother and daughter and, you know, how how they evolve, how they change. You know, it's that, again, it's that navigation, you know, like, sometimes you just want someone to say, okay, I understand, look, this is my thing, I'm not expecting you to, you know, get on board, I'm not expecting you to, you know, want to be a part of it. There's no pressure on that, you know, but you can understand that, you know, someone that has been lost and they find this thing, this lighthouse in the dark, as it were, and now they're kind of, you know, they're all on board and they don't want anything to ruin this new thing that they found. And they want to share this new thing they found. But they're scared because it's still at that fragile stage. It's like a baby skull. You know what I mean? Like it, it houses all this knowledge, all this potential. But it's so easy to break. It's so fragile. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. I'm not sure that was probably the best thing to use as an analogy um, But I, I think you understand what I'm saying here But uh, yeah, I think the film looks at our actions Because this is the thing, right? A lot of people 
view religion in a certain way like it's confining it's restrictive that it dominates people of weak wills that it you know puts a lot of pressure upon people but the thing is i think a lot of times that's people corrupting the word and you have to kind of realize that as long as you carry decency in your heart you're on the right path you know so it's about look people talk a good game but do your actions back that up and that's a that's a big kind of consideration that's a big thing that um yeah isn't always considered but this is, a, you know, yeah, it's, it's a new voice in the coming of age genre. And I think that's always a good thing. Like, but it's not just the story. Like, the visuals of this film are really, are really something. Like... There's these transition shots, and a lot of times it will it it featured summer. Sometimes it was just kind of a landscape, or like the sun hitting leaves. There maybe a butterfly, or 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 something like that. But these shots are done so ah, they really kind of add that that extra thing to the film. They're so vibrant and they they just help set the mood, you know. But it's, yeah, there's all these different facets that add to this film. Like, there's the music, the dance, there's some poetry. But it's people trying to find their way through this moment in time. And, um, yeah, I, I'd say, look, it's it's a, it's a film... That yeah should be seen because it's kind of addressing different topics on top of the religion. It's looking at like sex, and you know when are we ready for sex, and how should this be viewed? You know when we're ad when you're adults, like you know people always talk. Look, when children get to a certain age, you know we should treat them like adults. So. We should be having adult conversations with them about these things. So it's about that, how we consume social media, how we um, like judge ourselves, judge our bodies, our appearance. So there's, there's a lot of topics, there's a lot in this, which is great. Because as I said, look, it, it elevates this film from a run of the mill to something a little bit more. And you will get the opportunity to see this again uh, Friday the 12th, so that's tomorrow at 12.45pm at the Odeon Tottenham Court Road. And then Saturday the 13th at 9pm at the Rich Mix Cinema. Again, this was in the general programme. Um... And it was the European premiere. 
So there was a Q&A after the film and I'm going to uh, add that footage right now. This is the moment, minute, miss it.
that you don't necessarily see on the screen, but that little moment where David says, when I met your mom, she was a new age Black Panther and a Buddhist. And it's like, that's a strange dichotomy for somebody growing up in uh, Los Angeles. And so it, it was a, a tremendously fun role to, uh, to approach, I will say that. Um, maybe Sandra, April, and uh, Chandra, just about in terms of production, because it's a challenge to get any independent film made, maybe in particular one with this sort of subject matter. I'm just really interested in the sort of the process that you guys had to do to sort of get this project up and running. Well, I'll talk a little bit about some things and then pass it on to Averill. So my involvement with the film was I came in, Averill and I have been friends for years, uh, film professors together at some different colleges, and I knew she was working with Nigel and she, she sent a copy of her short to me. I said, oh my God, who is this amazing filmmaker? Her work is just always beautiful, poetry on the screen, just just eye candy. And I immediately knew that I wanted to get involved. And, and because it's a low budget, of course they couldn't pay me to um, find the money. So I took it upon myself to find some money during pre-production and then also in post. And it was one of our producers is here, Rod Tichy. <laughs> Yes, I'm so super yeah. And it, it was one of those processes where, you know, I, I think I had a, an easier job. They they were on the ground doing a lot of things, but for me, I mean, it, it was it was a pitch, but it wasn't the hardest pitch I've done because it's such a beautiful film, and they're such hard workers. And and Simone, I mean, e everything that, that we needed for the project was there, and so I was just privileged and honored to be a part of the process and just watching it again. I mean, you never get tired of seeing it. it's just so beautiful. Her performance is so amazing. One of our one of our big challenges in trying to get the film up off the ground, like you mentioned, um, not seeing a film like this was one of the challenges in making the film, um, and especially in terms of trying to find financing for it, because there's not there's not a whole lot of films that um, that feature African American Muslims. Um, you can probably count on one hand the, the amount of, <laughs> or maybe one finger, <laughs> the amount of films that, um, that have that. And it was interesting when we went out to pitch the film, how much people don't have a context for that. And, um, you know, we would pitch it and we'd say, oh, it's a coming of age story about a black teenager whose mother converts to Islam. And it never failed. People would go, <laughs> <laughs> Islam. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and the only content that people have for, for black Muslims is Nation of Islam. So they would always ask, oh, are they Nation of Islam? No, they're not Nation of Islam, they're Sunni Muslim. So it's interesting because, you know, even people's concept of, you know, just, you know, and then people wanted it to be a story about Islam per se, and really it's a coming of age story about a mother and a daughter who happened to Muslim, but it's really a coming of age story at its core, and so um, so that was kind of one of the biggest challenges. But it was just it was just really interesting to us, just kind of the the reaction that we got from people that were that had, like never heard of this before. <laughs> Crazy. Do we have any questions, please? Yeah, we have somebody just over here. Good evening. Um, I just want to thank you, beautiful ladies, for bringing us such a deep 
and moving and sensitive film. Absolutely amazing, a masterpiece. I haven't been touched by um, a film like this since I saw I Am Not A Witch. It put me in the same zone. And um, I wanted to thank you for taking us, or some of us, into a world that we don't know. And I think you've opened it out, well, certainly my eyes, I'm not gonna speak for everybody. I just wanted to thank you. It would have been, a, it clearly was a challenge. Any black film is a challenge to get it funded, but this one would have been particularly so as you've evidenced. So just thank you. Thank you. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Do we have anyone else with uh, some praise or a question? It's <laughs> all good. Um, I wanted to ask you about audience reactions because I think there's one level of you know getting the film made, getting people to commit to it, but you've now screened it in various places around the US. and. How does that tally with audiences? What, do they, what are they saying to you about you know, what they do and don't know about that whole you know, community in the world that we see in the film? Yeah, I think we've gotten a great reaction to the film. Um, most, mostly, a lot of people have said that you know, this, was a, this was insight into a world that they didn't know. And even people who um, perhaps grew up Muslim or were familiar with that, you know, it's that reaction of, I've never seen myself on the screen this way. Um, so that's been a lot of the reactions that we've gotten is that people have been really um, just really loving and overcome by the, by the portrayal of Summer. And also the complexity of Summer too. I think people resonate with the, with the complexity of, of her character, of just trying to figure it out. And it's, it's messy. Um, and I think between Summer and then just the world of Summer and Jade, it's just, it's not a simple story. It's, and I don't, you know, you shared about your faith story. I think anytime you're dealing with faith, it's messy and it's complicated. And um, so a lot of people resonate with that. And then I just wanted to add as well, in this world of social media, I was just reminded again, uh, when Iman was talking about the pressures that young people face in that world for self-identity, that's another great, great thing that's in the film. Um, for me, I think what's so interesting, especially with American films that deal with coming of age, usually they're male-focused. Yeah. And uh, there's always an inciting incident of, incident of violence. Mm -hmm. There's always something tragic that has happened that pulls everyone in, and this is simply a story, and yes, the, the major point of turn in this young woman's life is her mother's conversion, but it's, it's, uh, it's more emotionally jarring, uh, and it forces her to question who she is and who she is sexually and who she is um, in religion. Is, does she identify with this in a way? But it's not the typical American approach to telling stories about black children. And that's what I love, is that it has an innate sensitivity to it that is not framed around just this obsession with violence yeah. that I think our culture is so obsessed with. Yes. Anybody else have anything to say? Yes, okay, so we have a couple back there. We can get a mic there and then there. Hi, um, yeah, I just, you know, I come from a very multicultural family and it's, it's very nice to see a coming of age movie 
that doesn't need to address something that's very obvious just to show you how we feel inside. I think it's amazing to be able to make something that's very simple that should be taught in schools, brought into a film that we actually think, yeah, we all struggle, we suffer, and we don't know who we are, and our parents are something that we try to, I think, please, but we also want our own identity. And I think, yeah, just an applaud to you, because it's, it's nice to actually walk away without feeling a bit weird. So, thank you. Thank you. I think there's someone else nearby. Yeah, if you could pass the mic across, that would be great. Thanks. Hi. Uh, I would like to know how difficult was the process of choosing the actress for summer roles? Uh, because in Brazil, I'm from Brazil, and there, that is a little bit difficult to to have. Uh, Actresses, a teenager from a teenager actresses <coughs> with uh, this capacity, this quality that we saw today. And the second question is about uh, where can I see this movie in Brazil? So, in terms of casting Zoe, so we put a call out for auditions. So a bunch of actors sent us, teenage actors sent us self-tapes initially. Um, we saw her self-tape and we're like, uh, we really like her. Um, and then we had a bunch of actors come in and audition. Um, so we kind of like hand-selected a few to come in. And it was funny because she was one of the ones that came in we had them to do a read, and then we had them to do a like a choreographed dance. And when Zoe did the dance, we were like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> that's her." Um, but then you know, time went by, and we just we just couldn't <laughs> access her. It's it's really interesting how the whole can, uh, casting came together because we just couldn't get to her, and then when Simone came on board, we found out that they had the same agent, and we and were manager. like, and manager, yes. And so we were like, okay. <laughs> you know, but what was funny was they almost, they dropped, they dropped the ball. They almost lost the role for her because yeah. they didn't, they didn't think that it was as big of a deal as it was, and, and it wasn't until they talked to me that they were like, oh no, you're serious about this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm serious about this. What are you talking about? And they had, there was a moment where they had to move on. Yeah. And I was like, you cannot move right. on away from Zoe. Like, she's outstanding. Right. And so it was like, our agent at the time was like backpedaling, like, no, I, I totally wanted her to be in it. I just, uh, they didn't pick up the phone. I'm like, no, you didn't pick up the phone. So uh, yeah, they, they, you know, April, <laughs> they pulled it out. I have, I have yeah. to say, like, Zoe, a big part of it was that audition, but a big part was yeah. <laughs> Simone yeah. getting her to, to to come on board and um, and convincing them that, that she should do this project. So it was like really up to the last minute, like the last moment. Like, what? Like, How did y'all lose this? Get on a plane. Right. Come to LA. Yes. Get on a plane. Because she's in Atlanta. Yeah. 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 So, don't get so it was, yeah, it was, um, yeah. And where? And the Brazil. Oh, yes. So. 
<laughs> so our film got distribution in U.S. and Latin America. So it will be out in uh, theaters November 15th. And it will be available on Amazon and iTunes uh, November 16th. Please tell so, your friends. Yes, please Pulse tell screening. Yeah. <laughs> That's great news. Fantastic. Yeah. Somebody else uh, have any questions? Yeah. Somebody in the middle. And, oh, sorry. Okay. Say what? You said that. You go first. Can you get the mic? Yeah. Hi. Um. So I'm actually from Windsor Hill. So it was really cool seeing my neighborhood like that. And I had no idea it was actually in it. Um, and also, I know Ari, so it was really. I didn't know she was in the movie too. So, and my name is Ari. Uh, but I guess my question is: um, so with this kind of film, like obviously it's not going to be like a huge theatrical kind of release. But what's your goal with like getting um, viewership, or what what kind of audience you want to see it? That's a great question. Um, we we've, we've been very fortunate to screen it for a bunch of different types of audiences. And I think one of the one of the main audiences that we see this this film kind of speaking to is teenagers and like a like a young adult and teen audience. Um, and so we'd love for the film to kind of reach out or or, or be in that space. Um, so yeah, with this release, we're looking at doing a lot of screenings for and actually we've we've already started doing some of those screenings for high schools and universities and things like that. Yeah, so we're screening in, in um, at AFI um, in LA. And then we have some other screenings coming up too at LA Film School, Pace University. Um, so we're screening it for, for college students. But I think that that is kind of the, the demographic that we love to see kind of interact with the film. Fantastic. I think there's somebody in the back. Yeah, hi. Hi. Um, I just want to say, first of all, that Summer, the character, was amazing. Like, throughout all of it, I just kept coming back to her. And obviously, there's so many different things that go wrong, and your heart sort of really aches for her. Um, and it made me sort of think about when you're a teenager and everything's going wrong. And I just wanted to ask um, how much any three of you related to Summer, like when you were a teenager? <laughs> good question. You know, every time you watch the film, you see something new. But every time I watch the movie, there's that moment after she and Tahir have been together where you can see her replaying it in her mind. And it's like, since memory, like you remember what that was like. And you know, she touches herself and she touches her shoulder and you think, I remember what that was like when you're remembering yeah. somebody kissing you there. And it's it's that uh, just that sensual newness of exploring who you are as a young woman that uh, is just beautiful to see played on screen. And I think it's universal as men and women, old and young, we can all remember what those first moments or first romances and um, fleeting times are. but. Um, it, Summer and, and Jade, I, like I said before, the relationship felt a lot like my mother. And I, I remember uh, my mom is, oh, she's, she had me a little later. So when I was hitting the peak of puberty, she was hitting menopause. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember this moment in the car where she was like, you're being a bitch. And I was like, 
you're being a bitch. And I felt so ugly. I should have. But she was like a really loving mom. Uh, but the, I, I, you know what that's like, where these two, you know, these two women are warring and trying to figure out, well, no, you're, I'm the mom, but you're growing up and you're a young woman. What that feels like. So I, that, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Everything that Simone just said, I mean, that time period when you're a young woman, you're growing up, and you know, I grew up from Gaithersburg, Maryland, only African-American female in a class with, for, uh, for many, many years, so across just race and sensuality and sexuality. I mean, I think that a lot of people, especially a lot, are looking forward to the educational promotion as well across schools, because just to put that story out there for young girls who are always told, just don't have sex. You know, just don't do that, just don't do that, as opposed to exploring how they're feeling and just what it is and what's true for them. That's gonna be extremely rewarding for those young women. So we're really excited about that. I think I, um, I really identify with Summer's character in terms of her, her um, this search for identity and this public self and this private self. Those are some of my favorite scenes. Is, when you know she comes across with her friends like she's all oh, this confident and yeah whatever you know she's she's just very like I'm I'm in my own skin and then there's these moments that you see her in the mirror looking at Instagram and looking at other women and comparing her body and questioning herself and I think every woman has had that that moment where Yesterday. you're just like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where you just like second guess yourself and there's there's just that doubt of like am I good enough yeah and um those are some of the the some of the moments with Summer's character that I love the most because she's always kind of in in those two worlds and in those two head spaces of who am I to the public and what what people think I am and then who am I really so it's really interesting to me yeah I know this guy what he, he's been up like a long while so I don't mind going after him but, oh, um, yeah, yeah. He's been trying like a while. Yeah. <laughs> Last, I think we've got to finish. Hey, right. yeah. Hey, um, yeah. Thank you. Um, I really liked the visuals of the film. You know, some of those transition shots with like, and she's doing the skateboard and that kind of thing, and the sun's coming down. Those are re some really nice shots. But I just had um, there was just a couple of thoughts I had, and I was just wondering, um. Was there any kind of um, discussion to show more of Summer's thought process around deciding to, you know, do the conversion? Because at first, you know, when you're in the car and she's just like, oh, why are you doing that? You know, it's a, and it looked like she was going to fight against it. And then, you know, a couple of scenes later, she's like telling her friends, yo, I'm gonna go, um, I'm gonna, you know, start the journey, start the process. So I was just wondering if there was any thoughts to show more of her mindset around that. And then also, at, in the mosque, when she's being vilified for the Instagram post, I thought it was interesting that, you know, straight after Taya's mother comes out to defend her, and then you know, when um, you're at home and you read that passage and the passage seemed to say, what I kind of got from the passage that you read was that 
religion, you know, it wasn't just about being somewhere, you know, to get the acceptance. The acceptance comes really from you holding true in your own heart. You know, if you're carrying yourself as a good person, nothing else matters. And I was thinking, was that a conscious effort to have those two scenes in those places for that counterpoint? Um, so yeah, there actually were there's there's a lot that ended on the cutting room floor, unfortunately. Um, and so, really, in our in our original cut, the scene of uh, Summer taking the shahada comes a lot later in the film. So you get to see more of you know the conversion, and you see more of the thought process. There's more. Uh, there's more her studying. There's her kind of um, uh, like with the hijab, like the, the whole thing of like, do I wear this? Do I not wear this? What does this mean? There was there was more of that, um, and just through various test screenings and people kind of expressing what resonated the most with her with with them, what we found was that the the quicker we got to the conversion people were more engaged in it that way. So we ended up kind of, in a sense, kind of starting with the conversion. Because, or, or, or I should say starting with her already just converted. Because really, in, you know, in, in other cuts, there's, there's more of Summer contemplating, there's more of Jade contemplating. There's a whole lot of contemplation going on. <laughs> and you know, just the feedback that we got was just, you know, people don't, didn't want to see all the all the <laughs> contemplating, <laughs> so which is you know yeah. is always hard when you're in, when you're editing. Um, but yeah, people seem to kind of want to pick up from that point of the conversion and and move on with the story there. Yeah. And the with line. the with the prayer, uh, interestingly, that was a prayer that Nigel's dad gave to her when she was younger, so it meant a lot to her. But in speaking with editing, it took that moment was a lot earlier in the film. And so um, it was her decision of whether or not she wanted to convert or not. And it, that was what that scene originally was and where it is now, which I think is lovely, is her decision on whether or not to wear the hijab to work, mm -hmm. whether or not she's ready to take that step to present it to the world and, and what that means. And so the magic of editing, I think, can help us tell a myriad of stories that you know resonate with people on different levels. Yeah, I'll make it quick. I'll just start by saying I think y'all did an amazing job. At the beginning, I was kind of like, I wonder if I, and then by, by the end of it, I was 100% into it. So I think y'all pulled it off, and it was uh, it's a really amazing film. I was curious about. Um, the director a little more like if this was her first feature and then also like how you know has it progressed her career and just a little more information about that in terms of like if she working on something else and if you all are part of that then there's a little more about that. Yeah that's a great question. So this is Nigel's first feature. This is her first feature as a director. She's directed a lot of shorts before this. So she and I worked on a short which was the short that Chandra mentioned called Dream and you can that's on YouTube. Um, but it kind of gives you a sense of her style, like her style that's in Dream and many of her other films, you, 
can see that in Jen. But yes, this is her first um, feature, feature film. Um, and so this film, we premiered at South by Southwest in Austin. And then not long after that, she got offered uh, a, um, to direct an episode of Queen Sugar. So she did Queen Sugar. Um, and I'll just say, stay tuned for some, there's, there's more news that will come. Did, did she? She just said some great news. Oh, but she didn't say, okay. Okay, then I won't say. <laughs> Queen Sugar is Ava DuVernay. Queen Sugar is, is a show by Ava DuVernay that's on, on Oprah Winfrey's network. Um, so, um, so yeah, so good things are coming. Um, like I said, she has that. She has some other projects coming up. She and I are working on um, another feature film uh, to follow this one up. So yeah, good, good, good things. We'll go in the right direction. Um, we're going to have to leave it there, but thank you so much for your comments and really interesting questions. The fact that there's so much to talk about, I think, speaks Very volumes rich. about the film. <laughs> and please thank Chandra, Simone, and April for being <laughs> Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed these reviews today. I'm going to be back tomorrow. Um, and we should have reviews of Sometimes Always Never, um, Duplicate, and um, or what else is tomorrow? Been, um, been So Long. So, yeah, we should have... We should have those as well as Thunder Road. Um, I think, you know, chances are it's, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be able to post until late, like tonight, just because it's so crazy, man. It's just like just running, running, running around. Um, but yeah, you know, you will get another podcast tomorrow. So don't fear that. And, um, yeah, you know, some of the audio, there might be background noise, but, you know, because of the amount of, like, screenings, a lot of this is, is having to getting recorded in, like, cafes and bars and things like that. But I'm going to try my best to get you the best audio around, okay? But um, thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoy it and stay tuned because we'll have another one for you tomorrow. All right. Take care, people.